Okay, it's 6.30. Why don't we get started? We lost Benjamin though, he'll come back. Okay. So it's Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. And we're gonna start the Sonoma Citizens Advisory Council. I don't think we need to read through the teleconferencing guidelines again. And also we don't need to um, have a motion and approve teleconferencing one more time because we did that last week and it's good for 30 days when we, when we do that. Um, and we, uh, we're gonna limit um, speaking time to three minutes per person. Um, I've, I've learned recently that if there are a lot of people who speak on a specific topic, we can change the time from three minutes to two minutes to one minute, whatever so that more people could speak, but then each person would get less time. So we can change that when we get to different items on the agenda. It doesn't have to be the same during the whole meeting. Okay. Um, so we need a roll call. Vice Chair B. Miller. Present. Council Member Conant. Present. Council Member Dentinger is excused. Council Member Harrison. Present. Council, or excuse me, Chair DeGrange. Thank you, I'm present. We have quorum. Thank you. Okay, meetings called to order. Are there any public comments, public announcements for items not on the agenda? So if people wanna comment about Caltrans trans closing the road, we're gonna wait until, what is that? It's item six. But if you have other public announcements to make, um, now is the time to do that. Um, okay, we have three people with their hands up. Um, Jim O'Loughlin. You're still on mute. Jim? Yes, you're here. Okay. Uh I'd like to request that you consider putting two future agenda items on your future agenda. One is the uh, cut through traffic issue in downtown. Uh, this is an issue we've been talking about for years, did a rather extensive study. Well, uh, I think you asked for that last week. And so you'll ask for it twice last week. So we're gonna do that. Um, we'll talk about a little bit today. And then um, I'm working on getting contact with the county traffic engineer. Okay, the second item which I think we need to look at is <clears throat> the whole uh, question of the reason for the, the extensive damage to the school and you know, some residents uh, due to the Arroyo uh, you know, flooding. And I think that's really not a necessary uh, thing. It's not a natural occurrence. Uh, this is a problem because of the lack of planning and the lack of governmental agencies taking a position that if people want to develop and build and put up thousands and thousands of houses and parking lots and streets between Walnut Creek and South Livermore, uh, all the water comes through Sonoma. And there's only one creek, drains all that area. And <clears throat> if we keep building thousands of houses, I see just in the paper today, uh, 400 more on 30 acres in Pleasanton and so on. 
uh, we're just going to have you know more and more and worse flooding. And I think that there are is, is an easy solution. Uh, it's been talked about for years. And uh, Zone Seven position. Uh, the last time I talked to them was that it's too expensive, and that is to design their flood control system so it takes advantage of the chain of lakes, which is a series of gigantic empty gravel pits between Pleasanton and Livermore, and that they divert that flood water at high flowing times into those pits. It would replenish the groundwater, which would be a very big plus, and it would control the flooding downstream. We just can't keep putting up thousands of houses every year and end up uh, you know, just saying, well, that's okay. Uh, yeah, it's gonna flood some all, but uh, that, that's just what has to be. It doesn't have to be. There are solutions. And if, if they were to take a stand that they're gonna have to uh, implement a, the solution and they have it, uh, then uh, it would be solved very quickly because development is so lucrative that you know, they're not gonna give up all that money if they don't uh, have to. And we shouldn't have to suffer just so that they can make their millions of dollars. Thank you. Okay, Jim. Um, I think Jamie Nagata has her name hand up next. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, um, I just wanted to bring up a few things. Um, on now that Tyler Ranch is open, we are finding a lot of abandoned cats on our street. Three of them were adopted by our neighbors, lucky cats, but there's about four of them that are roaming around. And I just wanted to know if something could be done about those cats. Um, that's the first thing. And the second thing is over the weekend, a few Sonolans were walking the um, park and witnessed a photographer taking pictures of a nude model. Now we're gonna have more and more people coming to the park. We're gonna be having um, more photo, uh, photographers coming, taking photos, but I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And the third thing is we, I had tried to reach uh, Rick Young, who I understand is no longer with the uh, public works department. And um, we need signage on our street for speed limits. Um, a lot of people are just driving way too fast down the street to get to the park. That's it, thank you. Okay, thank you, Jamie. Um, I think Lynn Cosma is next. Hi, Connie. Hi. I have more of a question than a comment. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering if anybody knows when Caltrans is planning on turning the traffic lights that they've installed on. They've opened up the um, right turn lane and I've nearly been T-boned several times. Yeah, me too. Um, our guest speaker on item six is Caltrans, and they will be talking about that issue among other issues. Okay, if I still have time, I'd like to hand it over to Derek. Sure. Uh, so this is Derek Johnson, um, 
And I wanted to remind everybody the Snow Repertory Theater has a production coming up uh, a month from now, uh, Caught in the Villain's Gaze, um, uh, directed and uh, written by Tom Harland uh, in town. It's our 40th anniversary. And uh, um, anyone who wants tickets, they're, easy, I guess, most easily available from snow.net which has links to the appropriate places. Uh, and I encourage everybody to get tickets or be a patron and support our uh, local community theater. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful that the theater has been able to continue on with great performances for 40 years. Uh, Kelly Abreu. Just uh, some quick, uh, quick notes on this uh, flood control issues with Zone Seven. Um, I, I look, uh, I've been uh, watching what uh, some of their meetings, and the way they think the chain of lakes is something that they're going to be doing. Um, they're going to take ownership of, like maybe forty years from now, or you know, like forever, um, and. They they think of it as like a separate universe of a private holes in the ground that are not very well connected to their aquifers so that even if you fill them up with water, they wouldn't uh, recharge their aquifers too fast. And if you did fill them up with water, you'd have to pay for all the pipes and all the things to connect. So they don't want to be bothered with the chain of lakes. They think somebody else owns it and they hardly look at them. Um, very much. They put wells right next to them, but that's not the lakes. It's it's the wells. And then uh, when it comes to the the flooding area, or what is it? The uh, the um, uh, channel channel uh, dam uh, channel uh, uh, damage. You know where things are collapsing on the sides of the dirt dirt channels and so on. There was a collapse at Foothill Road right next to the. Um, Pleasanton Ridge Park in uh, near uh, Castle Ridge and kind of it's Sinol, uh, right north of Sinol. There was all that flooding in Sinol. And uh, these things, uh, they've got little flood maps on, at Zone 7 where they have 100 dots showing each spot of a damage, of a, of a collapse. Uh, Sinol doesn't show up very much on the maps. They like to ignore it. They don't. They don't count that Foothill Road collapse at Pleasanton Ridge Park. That doesn't count. They don't worry. The flooding in, in downtown Sedol or at the school. It doesn't cross their mind. Uh, so the uh, you know the, the first step would be to to uh, you know get get their awareness or uh, somehow get into their minds so that they know uh, that they, that uh, they're responsible for flood control because. Um, it seems like they don't really think about it too much. Thanks. Thanks, Kelly. Okay. Let's go on to the next item, reports, updates. The first is Alameda County Sheriff's Office, Mark Petrini, Sergeant Mark Petrini. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Everybody else can still move, but Mark's frozen. Yeah, okay. Well, why don't we um, go on to Chief Nichols and Chief Tara and, and then circle back to Mark. Good evening, Connie. Um, so since the last meeting, um, Station 14 ran 27 calls for service. 
um, are right around 75%, as is pretty normal, were EMS related. Um, this time we also had about 15% that were fires. Those were um, primarily vehicle fires. And 3% were other calls such as public assists and um, canceled in route, those types of things. Um, it's been relatively quiet um, from the response side of things. Um, and that's all I have to report tonight. Okay, does Chief Nichols, do you have anything else to add? Hello, I don't really have anything else to add other than we're still staffing our type three um, at Sonol for the winter and um, they are doing fuels management pro projects, not directly in Sonol, but in the East Bay on Mount Diablo. Um, other than that, it's been relatively quiet since the storms and uh, end of report. So what sort of fuel management work is going on in the middle of winter? Um, well, they are thinning and clearing roads out on uh, Mount Diablo for uh, fuel reduction for uh, fire safety um, on, on the mountain. Um, we have a number of projects. That's the one in the East Bay. And then we have a, a few in the South Bay. Okay. Um, Sergeant Petrini, are you back on? I see you. It looks like you might have called back in. Okay, let's see if the computer doesn't freeze this time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, a question about the the citizen that saw a nude model in a park. Were, are we talking about Pleasanton Ridge Park, the new parking lot they and they opened up at the end of Foothill, or are we talking the park downtown Sonoma? I think that Jamie said it was the Tyler Ridge staging area in that park. Okay, so it's East Bay right. Regional Parks. Yeah. Okay. Um, if they haven't been contacted about that, I will make a phone call for you. You said it was over the weekend. Is that what she said? Does anybody recall? Oh, Jamie, you want to talk about it a little bit more? Yes, it was over the weekend. It was on um, one of the paved roads, um, Anna's Road, the first paved road um, that you see and it was right off of there. Okay, I'll make sure East Bay is aware of that because they shouldn't be doing that in the park. Um, sorry, you had to see that. Okay, thank you. Um, I think, there it is. And, and the cats, the, the abandoned cats. Are, yeah. And those are, I'm assuming, in the park also or kind of around that area. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can get animal control to go take a look. They might take care of East Bay parks for us. Uh, so since our last meeting, and I apologize for missing the last one, I uh, had a lot going on and just didn't make it in time. Um, but over the last month, we've only had about 15 calls for service in the, the Sonal area. Uh, nothing really notable. Um, we have upped our uh, traffic enforcement in the area. Um, Chair DeGrange uh, got a hold of me it was a week or two ago about the road closures and people violating that. So we spent a little more time over there. Um, I've tried to bring a couple of our motor units from our main patrol station over to help out with that. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've done a little over a hundred traffic stops in the Sonoma area. Uh, my guys are, my midnight guys are out there right now on main street on a traffic stop. So we're, we're trying to do what we can to mitigate some of the commute problems and 
I, I get it with all the construction 680. It's it's a mess over there. Um, we're doing what we can. Uh, CHP's helping out as they can. I mean, really, it's it's CHP's responsibility, and we supplement them. Um, but with the complaints, I take that as community caretaking. So the sheriff's office is out there doing what we can to help you guys out and, and try to mitigate some of it. Um, yesterday when I was out there, I sat and watched traffic back all the way up down main street to the off ramp back onto 84 and was just kind of beside myself of how many people are trying to use that as a shortcut and it's not making it any shorter at this point. Um, we will continue to try and help out with that and, and do what we can for you. It's about the end of the report. Uh, Sergeant, I got a, I got a comment. Um, I went through downtown Sonora today, um, returning home and I live up Kilcare road. And at 410, I saw eight vehicles go around the road closure sign uh, and go down foothill. And I didn't know if there was anybody working that shift today, but it was a steady, steady stream. Uh, and after eight cars, I just decided I was going to go home and have a conversation with you in a couple of hours. Yeah, um, I wish we could be out there every day. Um, I'm actually going to ask my bosses if they'll give me some overtime funds to staff that while Foothill is closed to try and mitigate some of it. And um, where we're parked, so we're stopping kind of Foothill and Bond area because it's just a better place to make stops to, and then we can just shoot them down Bond back to Main Street to get them back on 84. Um it's hard to be out there all the time for us. I staffing wise on day shift, I have three cops generally. And then myself is makes four. Um, and we cover 450 square miles of jurisdiction. I mean, we're, we're all the way East to San Joaquin County, all the way North to Contra Costa County and all the way South to Santa Clara County. Um, we got a lot of area to cover and calls for service and serving the community in that capacity is kind of our primary function. Traffic kind of comes as a secondary thing. I'm trying to push it uh, a little bit uh, ahead of some other stuff right now, just because of how many problems they're having in Sonoma with the commuters and the traffic. Uh, but I can't promise you that we'll be there every day. We will be there when we can, as long as there's no priority calls for service. Um, Protecting life comes before anything else. Uh, you know, we're supposed to kind of take protecting property a second and then traffic kind of falls down there somewhere else. Uh, I'm pushing it up a little bit and cold property crimes. I'm going to let those pen for a little bit so that we can be there between those times. Um, my midnight cars, they start at six o'clock at night. I'm sending them straight out there when they come on shift so that they can be in there to try and help out with the the end of the commute. Do you have any recommendations of what we can do at Four Corners? Um, we have the stop signs and then the light fixtures are up there, but the lights are not, signal lights are not operable and um, people are rolling through the stop signs. Yeah, they, they roll through the one at the off ramp from 84 to Main Street too. Um, yeah. We're my guys have spread it out a little bit. Some of them have just stayed on foothill dealing with the road closure stuff. A couple of my guys have gone down to the stop sign um, on Main and 84. Every now and then they'll go over to Four Corners and work the stop sign over there. Uh, 
it's just it, there's just the volume of traffic coming down 84 it, it's it, it's just too much and you know for every one car that they get stopped there's five or six that still roll the stop sign and just keep going um i didn't know if you recommended a sign reminding people that you know i <laughs> I wish I had a better expertise in traffic, but it was never really my forte. Um, I spent the majority of my patrol career at the Eden Township substation, and we were so busy with calls for service and, and part one crimes that traffic for us kind of fell by the wayside. And then uh, when the motor unit was created, they kind of picked up the slack there to help out CHP on the surface streets. Um, and as patrol, it was just kind of something that if we had time, we did. So recommendations on that stuff okay. honestly i i don't know if signage is gonna gonna help the problem every car that i've stopped on foothill i've asked them did you see the road close sign well yeah but we could drive around it it's like okay what, what is wrong with you it's it says it's closed you can't come this way i i i don't have a a good suggestion for a solution um you know it's people are gonna and everybody's got their little GPS up and it's showing them that foothill and all this other, it's not showing closed on their map. So that's why they're trying to cut that way. And they're still getting cited for it because it's not an excuse. Um, but I, I, I don't have a solution to traffic problems. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we'll put band-aids on it as we can, but I got to pay attention to not just Sunil. I got East Livermore, South Livermore, North Livermore, uh, you know, it's, it's a big area for, for the minimal staff that I have. Um, and I know CHP is short staffed, so they're struggling to, to cover as much as they can. Um, okay. Well, we'll talk more with uh, Caltrans when they're, when we get to item six, I know Benjamin's got some more information too. And um, yeah, we, there are probably a lot of comments on this. Um, let's see. I can't tell. I see two hands up, and I can't tell if those are just because they either didn't go down or if they have questions for you, um, Sergeant Petrini. Look, Lynn did, or Derek, did you have a co question, comment for Sergeant Petrini? No. Yes? Uh, yes. I, uh, I was kind of struck by the, the combination of Foothill not being listed as closed when it is closed on Google. And I don't know how, how we correct that. And Kilcare Road is actually listed as closed on Google because everybody is doing a UE right. In, well, the people that do not pass the, uh, the road closed sign, they do a U-turn right downtown. And I think Google has picked up on that and decided that Kilcare Road is actually closed. Um, and uh, yeah, how, how do we shape the maps to correct so that? I don't know how to fix the GPS maps. Um, that's not what we go by. So I just logged into or just opened up the uh, Alameda County Public Works uh, homepage and it has road closures. I clicked on that. It clearly says Foothill Road from Verona Bridge to Kilcare Road, Sinol, uh is closed. They're supposed to start construction February 17th. 
Um, and I believe that is to repair the washout that was discussed in front of Sunol uh, Ridge Park or Pleasant Ridge Park. Um, so it, it is absolutely still closed. As for the GPSs that are showing it open, I, I, that's beyond my knowledge base on how to fix that. Um, we do not, when we go out to do enforcement for these things, Google is not one of the things that matters to us. It's what public work says and the signage that's up. Um, so I, I'm trying to find a very nice way to say this. If people had common sense and, and opened their eyes and saw a road closure sign and went, I can't go that way and just didn't go that way, it would solve the problem. Um, maybe if public works added another sign at the 84 off ramp saying Foothill road is closed, uh, from Sonol to, uh, Pleasanton, maybe it would help deter some of the people from going that way. I don't know. Um, I can try to get a hold of public works tomorrow and see if they can add something like that. Yeah. And we have asked Caltrans to do that and Caltrans is on the call or in our meeting right now. So they can. And if if Caltrans can add that as part of the off ramp from 84, um, like a temporary sign for the time being perfect. Um, we have found that, some of the people that are going around the signs are stopping long enough to either knock them off the side of the road or steal them. Um, so we're dealing with that too. Public works has been good enough to come out and reset up signs for us when we've contacted them. Okay. So, uh, Benjamin, did you want to say anything about main street? I'm sure I appreciate all the work you guys are doing out there trying to stop this and I think a lot of folks are frustrated. <clears throat> I actually stopped yesterday during the, the conga line of cars that goes two and a half miles out onto Niles Canyon there, starting at Main Street. I was at the post office and I got, I was thinking you know, maybe this is not really people trying to shortcut. And it's kind of what you just said. And I know it's not an excuse, but um, I just did a very unscientific poll and uh, I talked to about a dozen people, about 12 people who were all from the post office all the way up to the train station there coming off 84. The people had their arm hanging out the window and they were just as exasperated as Sinoleans are. And of the 12 people I talked to, 11 of them said they were just following the blue line on their GPS. I said, hey, what's going on out here? You, what do you guys, uh, you know, did you know to cut through Sinol here? Or did you, did, you know, did you, are you following the GPS? So, sorry about all this traffic. We're trying to figure it out too. And they go, we had no idea, man. Like we're just following the blue line. I wish we hadn't have done this. And I think that that's, that's the root cause. I think we can put up signs and everything. And we know that people don't follow signs. So if we're asking for something to put a sign here and put a sign there and do this, we all know we've all had arguments with our spouse. Where are you going? Hey, I'm just following the blue line. And I think that everybody thinks that that's probably the smartest thing to always do. Um, so I think that the bigger issue is how we get through to, to Waze, Google, Apple. I don't have a Tesla, so I don't know what controls that. But um, that's people just kind of become, you know, they become slaves to that. They're going to follow that line no matter what. Even if, if the signs had road closed, Google says it's open, and I know you guys are writing tickets for that and certainly appreciate that, but I think people just shown by their behavior, they're going to keep doing that no matter what. So I think what we need to do is find out how we can get to, and I think I, I had heard, I think Connie had told me we had requested that or somebody had said they had let the uh, the tech companies know, but it didn't get done. Um, nearly everybody that I've spoken to all say that they're just following their GPSs, and if we had a way to shut that down, uh, do something different, then I think that would get rid of a lot of the traffic. So, 
You know, I do know on Waze, if you set a route and it goes through a closed road, you can actually get to that point of the closed road yourself and input it into Waze that the road is closed. The problem is, is the next person that comes up, if they say, like they see it says closed and it's on their way, is it, if they give it a thumbs down and they get a couple of thumbs downs, then it takes that off of Waze and it no longer shows it as a closed road. So I... If you guys can get some help from the tech companies, that would be amazing. It would make our, our job a little bit easier. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know. That's just, that's just, that's just, you know, you're, you're asking for resources and bandwidth and asking for overtime. But I think we're kind of just trying to, to beat our heads against the wall. That, that's, that's it's, it's, it's never ending until we can figure out how we can get to the tech companies and get them to fix their maps and say, hey, this is, you know, no through traffic or, whatever the different situations are, um, it's going to keep being like that. And then you mentioned you went on the website and said wh whatever was closed, you know, what the, the two roads from Kilcare to whatever the ro other road you said? Verona Bridge to Kilcare. So the Verona Bridge is just past Pleasant and Snow Ridge Park. So if, if the tech companies are pulling information from that, they marked Kilcare closed. And it's not. It's from Kilcare to this other road. So there's some data that's not getting translated. I'm sure they might all do it differently. I don't know. But I think the point we just wanted well, to make. Well, well on, on the Alameda County webpage, it says Kilcare Road is closed except for residents. Gotcha. It does, it does say that. We, yeah, have, um, we have two hands up, both from Caltrans. Um, one is Pedro Quintana and the other was um, Jack. Um, Jack. Hi. Yeah, you know, Pedro uh, Quintana is with our uh, public information officer uh, office. Um, but I, I wanted to just briefly um, clarify that, you know, Foothill Road is actually, um, it, it's, it's actually a county road is my understanding. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hearing um, that the concerns with vehicles uh, taking Foothill Road because of the Google and Waze and, and some of the G GPS systems are not clarifying that Foothill is closed. But, you know, as part of our, our you know, adjustments um, for, for future closures, we are looking at, you know, implementing a, a closure of the, of the, of the off-ramp at Snow. So that should prevent a lot of the vehicles from eastbound 84 um, from taking on the off-ramp at Snow and trying to take a shortcut through the through foothill, uh, so that should alleviate some of the the problems with, you know, um, and um, with vehicles trying to get take take the bypass through the town of Snow uh, via foothill. Um, Jack, could you repeat that you're you're talking about closing the off ramp from Niles Canyon Road onto Main Street? Yes. Um, yeah, that's what during that's the weekends only, or. No, during our during our closure, during our closure. Um, and what do what do Sonolians about during our proposed closure during the weekend? Um, and, and what do Sonolians do who who are you know over that way? And did they just go around the sign, or or or, or did they? Well, have to... they would they, they would need to drive a little further up to Main Street and take a left on Main Street to get to town, right? That that's what we're we're that's what we're proposing as far as the issues that that we're running into during the closures. I understand that. A lot of, um, from the notes that Andrew sent us, I understand that there's a lot of vehicles that, that seems to be taking off the off-ramp and either going up uh, Foothill or, or, you know, and then finding out that it's closed or they're taking Main Street uh, to cut back onto 84 at Main Street. And so 
we're, for, for the closures, we understand that, that you know, this, this has become an issue. And so we're, that's one of the things that we're trying to, to propose to, to try and alleviate some of the, 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 the challenges that we ran into last weekend. I think it's certainly And the other thing we have now also that seems this kind of new with all this traffic is we have the big rigs now that are also all the big rig truck drivers heavy yeah. load yeah. cutting now cutting through Main Street. And I, I would guarantee that a lot of these guys they're not doing it on purpose. They're just following their GPS is trying to get from point A to point B. And um, yeah. sometimes yeah. the tech well, is and, the tech and is you get some type of signage implemented or and I think because Sonoza County, the Main Street's a county road, it would have to go through public works, but if you could get a uh, weight and length restriction sign and get the road actually set as that, it gives us a little more teeth for commercial enforcement on those guys to, to start tagging them for violating the weight and length uh, restrictions. We use it out on Patterson Pass all the time. Um, and I know you guys have issues with commute there. You want to see a nightmare, go out to Patterson Pass in the afternoon for commute. It's it's dangerous. I, I, I worry about my guys doing enforcement and out there because of how people are driving. Um, but the signage for that and, and getting public works to actually put the weight and uh, length restriction on uh, Main Street gives us a lot more teeth, especially with the, the big trucks when they come through. Because right now they can just go through and there's, there's no restrictions on them. Okay. Pedro, did you have another comment to add? We do need to make sure that we're moving the agenda on along in the agenda um, to get to item six, but go ahead. Pedro had lowered his hand. Sure did, yeah. Okay. Okay, are there any other um, comments from Chief Nichols? Sergeant Petrini or Chief Tara? Okay. Really quickly, Pedro has re-raised his hand. Oh, thank you for letting me know. Pedro, Quintana. Hi, can you guys hear me? Yes. Perfect. Uh, just wanted to say thank you guys for having this meeting for this advisory committee for us. Um, and we just really want to just reiterate, uh, you know, any help is helpful for us as well. We understand that we are a large state agency, but also if, you know, the sergeant can help us out reaching out to the public works to at least help us out with, you know, adding more signage to Foothill Boulevard, that would be helpful. Uh, you know, in regards to making sure that we can communicate also with Waze or Google Maps, we're trying at our best. But as many of you guys know, Google is a fortress. It's really hard to break free. They don't have like a customer service center where you can call them and say, hey, you know, this information is not accurate. So if you guys can help us out with, you know, any more CMS boards or any more signage or uh, maybe a barrier that we can block that traffic from entering Foothill Boulevard, that'll be very helpful. So if you guys can relay that message telling me to county, that'll be really helpful. We're trying our best to make sure that our closure uh, on the weekends doesn't really impact uh, doesn't um, impact residents living in Sonola. And so for us, we're just adjusting as we go. We had um, a closure this past weekend. It was successful, but we also learned from some of the uh, issues that we saw out there in real time. So now we're adjusting that or we're making sure that we can make sure that residents in Sonola are not that impacted uh, in regards to our closure. So please, again, if you guys can work with us, we definitely would appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Pedro. Okay, let's move on. We'll, I'm sure we'll have more discussion about traffic when we get on to item six. Um, item four is progress reports. Um, I think that Rosemary does not have a report this 
for this meeting. Um, I expect she'll have a report in March. Um, Jim, did you have an update for the tree work group? Or do you want to postpone that to March also? Okay, Jim is, does, has not put up his hand and he's not talking. So um, we'll circle back in March and get a report from Jim on the tree work group. We'll go on to item five, council staff comments. Um, are there any comments from council members? Jerry, did you have a comment? I'd like to uh, comment on what I, the text I sent you this morning. I thought the, the work we did on the downtown over the last few months has been uh, very fruitful and uh, certainly got a lot of good good stuff out of that, things we can work on. I'd like to have uh, an agenda item for maybe looking at the rural parts of Sonol and, and what the uh, what the vision would be for that and how, you know, maybe a 10-year vision or something along those lines of what we'd like the rural area to, to evolve to. Uh, since I'm a rural guy, I, that's a keen interest to me and I think it's of uh, important to the entire community. Almost. I wonder if there's if there's a similar kind of group available to us to help uh, crystallize some of those concepts as they did with the downtown area. Um, with the downtown area we um, sort of put together a, a team of, or a bunch of people put together their ideas on it and presented it to the county. And then the county came back to told us what they could do for us. So, um, so you might want to take that approach, but certainly we can put it on the agenda and we could have a discussion about it and we can plan that for the future. Cause I think that's a, an excellent suggestion too. Thank you. Did you have any other announcements? No, okay. Okay, now we're at item six. Now we can talk about Caltrans projects and Caltrans traffic. Um, we have, uh, we, we asked Caltrans to come, we asked Jack Shaw to come to respond to our October 24th letter to him, which listed six or seven items, six items in particular that we were very concerned about. We also asked them to, to talk about the project on Vallecitos Road. Um, which I know is not Jack's project, but he, he's collected the information so he can talk on that. The um, Alameda Creek Bridge replacement at Niles Canyon, not the one over on 680. And um, other things, the Four Corners, Four Corners project. So I'll turn it over to you, Jack. All right. Um, um, and and well, you also had some people who were going to be. Um, yeah, let, let me, yeah, we do have a couple of our, panelists. Our, yeah, we have a couple of our, our, our team members with us tonight. So I'm Jack Shaw, I'm the project manager for uh, a number of these projects in, in and around Sonol uh, on 84 as well as 680. Uh, but we, with me tonight, I have, uh, well, you've met uh, Pe Pedro Quintana earlier. Uh, he's uh, with our public information office. Um, Pedro, would you mind reintroducing yourself again briefly? I think he may have dropped. I don't see him in the okay. attendee list. Well, it's fine. It's fine. 
Um, and we have uh, Janice Mara as well from our PIO office as well. I think uh, Connie, you've, been, you've met Janice um, uh, previously. And we also have Kumar Santelli from our construction office. Uh, he's uh, been involved with a lot of these projects in, in, on 84 as well as 680. Um, so with that, I actually have a presentation. Is it possible for me to, to share some slides or, or I can just go over it uh, verbally uh, if, if that's okay, either way? Yeah, you can share your screen. Uh, let me see. So, uh, Niles Canyon, right? Um, this is just a, an image of, of Niles Canyon. So, as I indicated, I'm, I'm the project manager for a number of these projects on, on 84 and, and so your 80. Screen is, were you planning on sharing your screen? Oh, do you guys see it? Oh, I'm so sorry. Do you guys see it? There we go. Yeah. And I think the, the main concern that people had in the canyon was were the slides, the shaving of the wall, things like that, that um, they were surprised to see. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll, we'll cover a little bit of that as well uh, later, uh, Connie. So one of the things that we wanted to, to also update was on the, on the closure. Um, as, as I mentioned, we actually, you know, um, implemented we, uh, a full weekend closure uh, starting this past Friday. Uh, we have uh, two more weekend closures planned uh, for this coming weekend as well as the following weekend. Um, and so last weekend was really our, our, you know, our first closure uh, on 680 um, since the project started. And you know, the closure was basically from Koopman and, and, and Snow Boulevard. And as I indicated, we have two more weekend closures planned. Um, you know, as with anything, we, we, we learned a couple of things, a couple of the, the challenges that, that, that occurred last weekend. And so uh, with that in mind, we're, we're, you know, we're implementing a number of adjustments to try and, and help um, get traffic through and, and you know, maybe minimize the, the backup and the issues that we ran into last weekend. And so one of the things that we're trying to do for, for the upcoming weekend closures is to, to provide flaggers at, at both the Pleasant and Snow intersection and Paloma Way, basically at four corners, right? Uh, and provide flaggers also at the Pleasant and Snow and Castlewood uh, area there. Um, you know, we're hoping that by providing the, the flaggers at all times, you know, we're able to, to help uh, traffic flow through and, and avoid the backup. Uh, on top of that, I understand that we're gonna be also implementing or requesting CHP's assistance uh, at these corners as well to try and help uh, with, with the traffic. And then lastly, as I indicated, we're also looking at you know, um, closing the eastbound 84 off-ramp at Sunol. Uh, so with that closure, we think during the close, during the detours and the closures this weekend, um, you know, we'll minimize the, the concerns with, you know, the vehicles taking the bypass through, through Main Street or through Foothill or, or you know, Kilcare and those, and those areas. And so, you know, that's, that's what we're proposing to, to you know, the additional um, tweaks and adjustment that we're proposing to do to try and, and um, improve the, the closure and the detours that's gonna be happening this weekend. Um, any questions on, on this aspect? Yeah, I did have one there for you, Jack, on the, the closure of the 84 ramp into downtown Sonol. 
we yeah. kind of touched on that a second ago that the plan would be for folks to continue all the way down and then turn a left you make a left on the main street um that obviously would be not ideal for folks who live on kill care because mm -hmm. they kind of want you have all that traffic all that traffic all that traffic and then we get that off ramp it's like okay i'm almost there but now if we close it and now we're going to traffic's going to back up it's already backed up two and a half miles now if we close that it might back up another you know half mile or so whatever that would be but now those folks have to wait and they can't get off that ramp to get home they got to go all the way down underneath all the way down take a left and then come back up you know and when you get back on the main street it'll be quick because there's no traffic going that way but i just wanted to yeah. maybe put some extra thought around that if there's a way that you know maybe it's closed and it says you know residents only or something like that for so folks on because there's i think a lot of folks living on kill live on kill care who take that take that ramp right there so okay okay no, that's a good point um you know we we you know what you explained about how with the ramp closure that the queue may be a little bit longer, right? Since there's not going to be the, the cars taking the shortcut through the off ramp, but you know we'll take that into account, and and I'll I'll circle back and see what we what else we can tweak to 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 improve this this idea. Thank you very much. Hey, Jack on, on Sheridan Road, uh, as you probably know, the Andrade and Mission roads were backed up. Uh, it took my daughter an hour and a half to get to the gas station from my house. So uh, they all exited the freeway. And then later on in the day, uh, CHP went down to the Sheridan Road off ramp and parked there and, and didn't allow people to exit unless I guess they were locals or so forth. Are you going to, are you planning on doing that again this weekend, as far as you know? Um, you know, as far as I know, you know what, on that aspect, I'd like to maybe defer to our construction um, um, Chief there, Kumar, would you be able to address yeah. that question? Yeah, Jack, we are planning to close the Sheridan off-ramp, except for local traffic. People that need to take uh, Sheridan will have to go to Calaveras and come back around. So if, if you want to go to the nursery or the play, other places on uh, the frontage road, so we will close Sheridan. Okay, thank you. Sure. So do you close Sheridan totally, or is it closed but some cars can get through and some can't. It was through traffic could get, I mean, tra local traffic could exit, but you had to stop and talk to the CHP guy and tell uh -huh. him you were going to someplace local and then he would let you through. Otherwise he blocked the offer. I see, okay. Is that something that can be done on the off-ramp from 84? That'll work, that would work for sure. That requires a lot of labor, it requires a CH per CH per station there. Jack, is that something that can be done? We, we can look into it, uh, Connie. Um, you know, Kumar, I'm not sure how it works at Sheridan, but you know, maybe I'm not sure if we can implement this, a similar, um, you know, measures at, at the off-ramp there at, at 84. Yeah, we could try that, Jack. And then if things get out of control, then we can close it off. But otherwise, we okay. could try. I think it's certainly worth a try. That'd be much appreciated. And I think that and I think you find a lot of people say, oh, no, we didn't know. We're just following the GPS. I think that'd be great. No, uh, that's, the CHP blocked the exit. I mean, you had to you had to stop and go yeah. down your window and that's, convince that's them that that's, that's you're doing something locally. It's the same thing like for Niles when when, when Niles was closed and it was all closed, but they had somebody positioned there and you, you, had, you had to get through tell them, hey, I live down there and they let you, they move the two things and let you through, you know? Yeah, it was something yeah. on that order. 
Yeah, it's great. Yeah, even a hard closure just to try it for one weekend would be would be worth it. Okay. All right. Anything else on the closure? Okay. Well, we can move on. Um, so one of the things that um, that uh, Connie mentioned earlier was was in regards to the the October twenty twenty two letter um, outlining a couple of the items that uh, that was of concern, right? Um, well, I, I don't think the signals, the activation of the signals was part of the letter, but you know, I, I understand that's uh, that's that's also uh, a, a big concern for for the community. So, you know, we actually uh, had scheduled, or PG&E had scheduled to activate these signals on January 17th. Uh, however, apparently, due to the due to the, the the storms that we had in in January, uh, PG&E uh, notified that they would push back the activation of the uh, or providing the power to these signals, and so we're still working with PG&E, trying to get them to expedite and and uh, provide a, a, a date when we can expect them to to provide the power so we can activate the signals. Um, but right now we don't um, we don't have a target date yet, uh, but we are continually working with them to try and you know, and, and, and express the, the need to, to expedite and, and power up these, these signals as soon as we can. Uh, I, I heard earlier about the concerns with the right turn, um, you know, uh, right turn movement on Pleasant and Snow Road um, and, and causing, you know, without the signals uh, being problematic. So, but we are working with PGE to try and ex expedite that somehow. I noticed there's no signal box. Is this, how can doesn't every intersection have to have a signal box? You know, I'm I'm not an electrical engineer, so I'm gonna have to circle back uh, on that, Connie. We can we can provide you a, a response via email, but I'm sure everything's already in place, uh, including the push buttons at at the two intersections uh, on Pleasant Snow Road and and um, and Paloma Way. Okay. Okay. Now, well, leave that slide up. One thing that's really apparent is the crosswalk. It's there right now, and yeah. it's missing. Somebody yeah. has scraped it off the road, and that is the main crosswalk that we need at that intersection. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll get to that um, later in the slide, okay. Connie. We can, we okay. can address that as well, okay? So uh, that's, that's as far as the signals, okay? And then we'll go through a couple of the items that, that was outlined in the letter. Um, the, the sign, uh, the no hazardous way sign near Arroyo, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to, to report that, you know, our contractors are planning to address this and relocate the sign, uh, if not this week, next week is my understanding. Uh, so it should be, um, you know, the, the, the relocation of this sign should be any, uh, happening uh, anytime now, probably by next week. Okay. Um, the other item was that was outlined in the memo. I, I think it's been addressed. It's basically debris in, you know, in, in the, on the west side of Pleasant and Sonola Road. Um, my understanding is that the contractors had cleaned up already. Uh, however, you know, we, we are um, going to be continually to monitor it and, you know, try to address any, any debris that may come up and, and you know, uh, just, just be, be aware and, and, and try to clean up as soon as we can on this, okay? What do you want us to do when, when we noticed 
like there's pile, there's still wood structures there and nails. We would use urban citizen if it was Alameda County, but I don't think Caltrans okay. responds to that. Um, so my, my what, the, the report I got was that it was already cleaned up. Are you are you indicating that there's still currently debris right now at the intersection? Is that is that right? There is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's somebody built something that looks like a ladder. It's okay. okay. Framework is there. Um, yeah, we can we can circle back with our maintenance forces and contractors to, to try and address that. Um, okay. You know, as soon as we can. Okay. All right. Um, the third item that was in the letter, I think, was regarding the planter boxes that Connie you had suggested maybe proposing. So you know, we check with our um, design teams. Um, it is something that that we can uh, review or look look at when you guys propose something. Um, however, there is a, a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, we do have a, a clear recovery zone requirement. So, you know, we can't really place anything within 20 feet of the edge of travel way. Um, you know, you can mitigate the clear, the clear recovery zone um, requirement by, you know, putting in some sort of barrier, uh, metal beam guardrail and, and such. Um, but even if you address the clear recovery zone, there is another aspect that, you know, we do require that that clear sight distance is, is, is always there. So that, you know, when vehicles are, are at the Paloma Way intersection uh, and they need to make a, a right turn, they need to be able to see clearly to the other crosswalk on, on Pleasantville Road. And so that is another uh, requirement that, that needs to be addressed. Uh, so, you know, putting in um, uh, a planter boxes, anything, we would just have to address those two uh, 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 requirements. And um, when you say that the 20 foot can be mitigated by a barrier, um, yeah. is there a, a minimum impact that it needs to be able to absorb? Yeah, I'm sure there is. My understanding is that, uh, you know, it would have to meet standards and I don't have the standards right now, um, Connie, but, you know, if, if you guys have a plan, uh, you know, you can, you know, submit it via encroachment permit uh, review and, and we'll, we'll take a look at it and, and provide comments and, and any, anything that, uh, any other concerns that we may have with the proposal. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, next is basically uh, the crosswalk issue that you mentioned earlier. So um, we, we have been looking at it, Connie, to put in that, that crosswalk back at the, um, at the western um, uh, end of the intersection. And, you know, it, it's because we're putting in signals, uh, we wouldn't be able to just put in the crosswalk without putting in the push button system. And so in order to put the crosswalk, we have to put in the, the, the push button system on poles, right? And so we've been trying to make it work where we can put in the poles uh, on both ends of the crosswalk. Uh, however, on the south end, there's that you know, water temple gate, which is historic. And the curb itself is also historic. 
And so we need to avoid the temple gates as well as the curb where we put the, the poles for the push button and the pedestrian head. And so, you know, we, we think there's, you know, we've been looking at ways to, to meet those requirements and be able to put that back in. Um, I think we have a plan or we identify the plan to be able to incorporate these crosswalks. Um, it, it may have to, uh, we may have to basically expand the curb a little bit uh, on in front of the water temple, uh, but we, we would be able, we think we can incorporate these changes, um, you know, as, as, uh, as part of the change order on the existing contract uh, and, and put the crosswalk back in. But we, we still need to uh, refine the details basically on that. When you say ex okay. extend the curb, what do you mean? So, um, shoot, I don't have Google Map, but basically we can't touch the existing curb. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, be, we'll be putting the pole adjacent to the existing, um, uh, existing curb, and then we'll have to build a new curb to protect the pole that we're putting in for the pedestrian head as well as the, the push button. Okay. Um, that, that's the plan. Um, and I think that's, that's something that can address the, the, the concerns with the historic structure. Okay. Okay. You know, I went back to the 2021 meeting the last time we talked about this. And at that time, mm -hmm. you promised us that the intersection would be replaced, that the crosswalk would be maintained there. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's been yeah. a long time. No, I, I, I understand, Connie. It's, um, you know, we're, we're trying to make to address it and we're, we're you know, trying to, to incorporate uh, as soon as we can here uh, um, at this location. And, and how about that other crosswalk that causes you to walk right into the temple gate wall? It, it's Yeah, so the team also looked at uh, basically skewing or angling the, the crosswalk so that it avoids the, the wall, um, but angling it towards the west um, would, you know, um, would require uh, relocating the, the, the loop detectors, but that's not even that big of a deal. I think the, the concern is that we would be basically uh, increasing the length that the pedestrians are, are in the crosswalk. Um, and so that would also entail uh, increasing the signal timing uh, and you increase the, 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 the phasing and you end up um, impacting the, the operations a bit uh, negatively. Um, you know, it's, it's also very, I guess, we don't, we don't typically do um, a skewed or angled crosswalk. Um, I, I mean, that's, um, that's just uh, very uh, unconventional, I guess. Um, but it's, it's more of a the concern with the fact that you're, we're basically exposing you know, uh, um, increasing the pedestrian exposure. They're going to be longer on the pedestrian on the crosswalk, as well as um, as well as potentially, um, you know, uh, negatively impacting the, the the operations or the efficiency of the of the operations there. I can't believe you're saying that. I'm just I'm just shocked that you're saying that. You and I walked across that winter intersection together. I, I, you, we walked across that crosswalk mm -hmm. together. You get to the other side by the gates and you have to walk back out into the middle of the intersection to yeah. get around the gates. So it's 
pedestrians are far greater risk the way it is now than if it was skewed. It takes far longer now than it would be if it was skewed. It's a very dangerous situation. Yeah. Um, I, I understand, Connie. It's just, you know, I mean, we, we can revisit it again. I, I you know, it, the recommendations I got from our design team that it's not something that could be incorporated, but we can circle back again, Connie, on this issue. Okay. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> All right. All right, uh, the next item on the letter is regarding the request to consider an undercrossing under the new Arroyo de la Laguna Bridge. Okay. So we looked at this as well. Um, there's a couple of concerns with this request. Um, one of the obvious ones is that you would have to put in the undercrossing under the bridge, uh, provide enough vertical clearance under the soffit, um, and so you're looking at the crosswalk at the very least about, I'm guessing roughly 10 to 12 feet below the surface of the, the existing bridge. Um, as you know, there's, you know, um, with the recent floods, I mean, the recent storms, uh, there is a risk of the crosswalk being um, flooded during high storm events. That's one concern. Another concern with this is basically in order to put in um, a ramp that meets ADA compliance, uh, we would need to basically um, uh, create a ramp from roughly Main Street down to roughly 12 feet below uh, the, the existing surface uh, at, a, at, a, at a slope or profile that meets ADA um, requirements. Um, we may not have enough run length between Main Street and the proposal uh, of an undercrossing. On top of that, uh, we would have to also do the same thing on the south side to have it circle back um, to the sidewalk on the south side. Um, those elements will also probably result in, in increased environmental impacts. So with that and with all those factors and reasons that were basically, uh, we don't feel this is something that we can uh, incorporate. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, the lot, the, I think this is also on the memo. Um, yes, it is. So yeah. Town of Sonoli, um, I guess proposed perhaps leasing that parcel uh, south of the, the parking, uh, the train parking. Mm -hmm. um, our right away, I contacted our right away people. They are looking at the, in the, in the, at the request. Um, they requested that, I'm not sure if the town of Sonoma has uh, a right away contact that we can coordinate with as far as agreements and, and, and you know, uh, going over the terms of the lease. Um, but we do have, you know, so if you can provide a, a, a contact with the town, that would be helpful. And we can have our right away folks start discussions on, on potential leasing of this parcel. Okay. Uh, but, we, but we do have a concern with the proposed use, uh, Connie, of using this as, as overflow parking, because 
you know, that it would suggest that we would have pedestrians crossing uh, an on-ramp to Route 84. So it is something that we need to, to consider um, as far as, uh, you know, um, what kind of uh, safety concerns that may raise. Where, where do you think the on-ramp starts? Well, I think the on-ramp starts pretty much where that, that yellow line is. That is, no, that is the on-ramp to Route 84, right? Okay, okay. so the, um, the person, the people who will work with you are Alameda County and we will we'll get them and- Okay. I'll give you a call and we'll get the names together. And talk okay. about it. All right, and let me see. Valacitas Road, I think this is what you uh, had, uh, that you indicate was dropped from the agenda, correct? Yeah, but it, actually it is. It's on, it just changed the order, but it's on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I understand that we, you know, this this project, this is a six eighty eighty four um, project that's that's currently in construction. Um, I understand that there's concerns raised by by residents that that is on the south side of eighty four as well as north side of eighty four, right? Mm -hmm. um, I understand that for those for those folks that's that's on the south side of the 84, we actually had constructed a frontage road that parallels uh, 84, um, so that the residents could use the frontage road and it leads them to a new um, signalized intersection that we also had recently constructed and completed, um, and that intersection is it falls basically. Um, across Route 84 from the, I think we just call it a GE driveway or GE plant driveway. Uh, I, you can't really see it, but um, it's, it's basically where that Valacitos Road word is there, where there's a, you can see the driveway to the north. So we do have, we already constructed signals and, and a new um, intersection at that point. So the, so the vehicles on the south side, they're able to use the frontage road, get to that point, and they're able to turn or make a, a turn to the left or right, I mean, eastbound or, west, or, or westbound 84 from that intersection on the south side, okay? So the concern, the concern was the ranchers that live back in, the, in back of the San Antonio Reservoir would have truckloads full of cattle and they're transporting their, their steers. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, and the turn on to 84 and the turn off of 84 was just too tight. They weren't able to maneuver. It wasn't necessarily not having a light or not having a light, but it was, it was too tight and they couldn't get through. So um, from what I understand, Caltrans did respond to um, the rancher's concern and did adjust that. And I, I appreciate you doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think, okay. So my understanding is that there is um, a, a residence that's closer, that's, I guess, more towards the west side, uh, where they used to have access to be able to go, uh, take a left, basically, to go on, on westbound 84. Um, but, you know, I think that the, the proposal during construction is for them to, to go head east first on 84 and then use the, the new intersection that we placed, that we just put in um, 
on the south side, make the U-turn there to, to be able to, to go uh, westbound 84 again. Um, now, this is only during construction. When construction is complete, uh, there will be enough room for them to, uh, to, to head eastbound on 84 first, and then be able to make a U-turn at the intersection uh, without without going through the, you know, without making a right turn into the new intersection, they'll be able to actually make a direct U-turn on AD4. Okay. Uh, there'll be enough room to do that, okay? Okay. So that's the south side, folks. The, the north side, we're actually gonna be also Little Valley Road, I think that's the road. Uh, we'll also be providing a new frontage road for the, the folks on Little Valley, and they'll be able to head east to the existing GE um, plant driveway. And once they get to the driveway, they're able to you know, um, head eastbound or westbound 84 without too much, um, without too much uh, issue. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, this is not on the memo, but we also wanted to address it. I understand that there's concerns with the slope. I think this is a location that we were a little, the, the agenda discusses Alameda Creek Bridge, but this is not really Alameda Creek Bridge. Um, the Alameda Creek Bridge replacement project is the one that's further west. No, no, further, I'm sorry, further east where at that sharp turn. I think this is the, the area that you're, that, that there was concern with, right? From the recent storms and the slow paving uh, issue. Um, and so, no, I don't know exactly where it was. Um, people were talking about area, I think closer to the new bridge where um, the hillside had been denuded of vegetation and then it slid during the storm, so it was closed. And they're wondering if you were planning on putting retaining walls in or any, what, what's the plan? Yeah, you know, we didn't do any recent work on that area on the slow paving, but we, we understand it, it was damaged during, during the storm. Uh, we are planning to incorporate rock slope protection in this area to address the, the, the issue that, that we had during the storms. Um, we'll also be probably replacing the Melbourne guardrail that, well, you can kind of see it on, it's actually on the other side of the bridge, I think. Um, we'll be putting in uh, a concrete barrier in that area as well. Um, but we do have plans to, to address and, and make necessary, necessary repairs um, probably this, this summer sometimes is, is what we estimate uh, to begin repairs. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think that's it for our, our uh, updates and presentation. I. I can maybe open it up to questions. Okay, uh, Jimmy Brazil has a question. Uh, hi, Jack. Uh, you've gotten off pretty lightly here. The amount of out. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. The amount of outrage for us people in Sonol certainly hasn't come across. Um, 
it, it's, it, it was really an utter failure of preparation for closing down a major interstate and sending traffic through our town. Just, just so little preparation was done, so little foresight. Um, and then to go back to the traffic lights, if the traffic lights had been working, perhaps things wouldn't have gotten so out of hand. The, to, to put the blame on PG&E for not putting the traffic lights, or getting electric to the traffic lights is just so, uh, it, it, it's just beyond incompetent. You guys certainly must have enough pull with PG&E that you could have had those lights uh, working. Um, so anyhow, I just wanted, and I also want to say to close that exit going from 84 up into Sanol is a lousy idea. Please don't even consider that. I did it on Saturday. People were very respectful of the cones. Uh, residents of Sanol did bypass the cones and go in, but everybody else respected it. So that wasn't such a huge issue Saturday, about three o'clock. Um, so anyhow, I just wanna, I, I wanna speak for the rest of the, the people up here in Sanol who are just absolutely furious with Caltrans. All right, that's all I've got to say. Thanks for listening. Jimmy, I don't understand what you mean about the cones. Uh, people not, oh, you're gone, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> okay. So they put cones on the exit uh, leading from 84 up into Sonoa. So they, they did indicate that it was closed last weekend? The same they thing they're closing this next weekend? Who's they? By the way, Caltrans? Oh, I don't know who put the cones there, but it really, it really seemed to work. Nobody was exiting 84 and coming downtown except locals. And we were really pleased to see that people were respectful of that. Um, but it, it saved an extra 10 minutes of my time to get back to kill care. So it was nice to have. And I'd hate to, if they could just do that this weekend, maybe that would, uh, uh, that would help a little bit. We don't know who that was, though. I, I, I had could have been a citizen who did that. Right? Yeah, it could have been. Maybe they ought to be in charge of Caltrans, whoever did it. Okay, thank you. Jim, do you have a comment? Uh, I had sent a note to Jack regarding the tree project. And he indicated that he would have an update uh, this evening. And so I was anticipating uh, a, a report which would indicate how they are going to assist us in our <clears throat> Sycamore Grove and uh, Creek Bank restoration project downtown. So uh, Jack, could, do you, could you bring us up to date in terms of what it looks like, uh, if you're gonna be able to help with that project. And also in a broader uh, perspective, uh, how you have uh, uh, e evaluated other potential tree planting areas in the Snow area. Hi, um, Jim. Yeah, you know, we, we have been, uh, we have had our, a couple of our team members go out to try and determine how many trees can be planted and the type of trees that can be planted. We're, we're confident that we will be able to incorporate tree planting at Snow Depot uh, Garden as part of the Arroyo project. 
Um, however, at this time, we, we, we need our, our biologists and, and landscape architects to actually go out there and do a tree survey to try and determine exactly the number and the types of trees that we can plant. We'll also need to work with the environmental permitting agencies as well to, um, to try and determine, again, you know, a lot of the tree planting, uh, we need to comply with the permit requirements as well. So, um, you know, I, I understand that there's a, um, a, a real a desire to, to incorporate sycamores uh, at the site, but, you know, it, it really depends on, on, a lot of it also depends on what the permitting agencies, um, you know, uh, recommend. And when you say permitting agencies, who are we talking about? Uh, I think it's CDFW that we need to work with um, to, to work on, on the type of trees. Um, so if it's part of the Arroyo project, then we're talking about 2024? Yeah, roughly is when construction, we're anticipating construction uh, starting in 2024 for Arroyo. Okay. They used to sound so far away and now it's close. Um, Bob Frillman, did you have a comment or question of, of Jack? Can you hear me? Yes. Can, uh, a couple of things. The, uh, uh, I don't know, Jimmy, in response to Jimmy's comment about PG&E, uh, I think those guys deserve a pass. A any of us here in town that lost their power for weeks on end, we're certainly grateful that PG&E crews were out in the middle of the night in the middle of the rain instead of hooking up red lights down there at the at the four corners. So uh, that's my thoughts on that. I, I guess the overhead that the, uh, the gentleman from Caltrans showed of downtown that shows the exit off of 84, uh, that crosswalk is angled. So Connie, your observation that we angled the crosswalk over by the water temple to make that happen uh, if it means they have to retime the light, they retime the light. And how do you get from 2021 to 2023 and stick a bunch of poles up with a bunch of red lights on or stop lights on it? And you know you're going to have a crosswalk, but they forgot to put the push buttons in. And that's all I got to say. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Um, um, Andrew, did you have a comment or question of Jack? Yeah, hi, Connie. Um, I summarized for Caltrans a number of issues, and there was one issue left off, which is item 14, and I'd like to read it. It's that the recent lane change from 680 exit to 84 east by reducing a lane on the freeway is worse because two lanes on I-680 back up every day with only one lane left to continue on 680. The HOV lane uh, plus the HOV line until that ends. 84 should have its own exit lane and the second lane is an option to exit or continue to 680 North as most other freeways exits are. So two freeway, two freeway lanes onto two highway 84 lanes that will ease up some congestion and unsafe last minute lane changes by many drivers. This was uh, submitted as a Informational letter to the editor, 
but it also made it onto the list that summarized the items that we had hoped Caltrans would address. Um, I'm not sure if Jack's the project manager for that, and I see he seems to be representing everything. Is there somebody else on the call who might be able to represent item 14? Thank you. Hi, Andrew. I, I can I can start with that. You know, my understanding is that the the restriping was done in November of 2022 to address a couple of accidents or incidences that that's happened because of the weaving issue. Uh, the previous arrangement were, um, um, uh, uh, had, and so that, the 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 restriping was done to to I guess basically to minimize the the, the accident uh, due to the waving the weaving, and so. Yeah, during construction, we are not able to to put the two lanes to exit 84. I mean, to to exit 680 to 84, because we do need the the outer lane um, to to uh, as because we need that room to construct the new uh, crossover. Um, and so that that's the main reason why the restriping was done in November. And uh, the reason why we can't put two lanes back on on the 84 exit. What do you know when that project's going to be done? Uh, that project, my understanding is going to it has another I want to say 18 months, but perhaps uh, Kumar has a better uh, update on on end of completion on that project. You're right, Jack. It's 18 months, approximately 18 months out. And like you said, we had several accidents at that intersection before, and we had complaints about the accidents. So now, after we did the restriping in November, we barely had any accidents. I know it's a little inconvenient, but it slowed down traffic to the point where the accidents are totally, are pretty much gone. Now We don't have any, hardly any accidents in that uh, exit area. Hearing about all these projects and all these problems makes me really think about the ordeal that you're putting this whole town through for all your construction projects at once. It seems like every part of Sonola is impacted by Caltrans projects right now. Yeah. Um, Jim, did you have another comment? Hopefully, a short one. If. Uh... He, we could uh, you know, have some discussion with his people who are going to be looking at uh, the park area and uh, looking at you know possible what kind of trees and where they they should be planted. Uh, we would really appreciate it if we could be involved in that discussion in some way. Um, yeah, that, that actually you know um, we can certainly arrange another. Another uh, on-site uh, meeting, Jim, if you're available, and provide your your input on on you know the the the, the trees and the and the ideas for that site. Um, you know, as I indicated, we're we're planning to have our biologists and and landscape architect conduct a a, a more thorough review and and you know further coordinate with the agencies to try and and identify. The, the number and the types of trees that we should be considering at that site. Thank you. Um, 
Lynn or Derek, did you have a comment or question for Jack? Hi, this is Lynn. Yes, Hi. I do. Um, I have a question. Is it possible until I understand that you don't control necessarily PG&E and, and their timeline, but is it possible for you to close off that right turn lane that you just installed as it had been for a while until such time as those lights are turned on in order to create a safer environment there? Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can circle back with our traffic operations folks and, and you know, um, discuss the suggestion. Lynn, is the concern that you're turning right and other people don't perceive you're entering the intersection? Or is it when you're merging over into that right lane and somebody else is rushing you? So, so the, if, if there's prevailing traffic coming along that right turn lane, the people who are trying to go straight through that intersection can't see if someone is from their right side is, is coming from Niles Canyon Road and Niles Canyon Road people can't see if there's someone in that lane. And so there's, there's conflict there. If that right turn lane was blocked until the light was turned on, that would clear it up because it was like that for a while and there was no problem. Yeah, until somebody ran over the, the blockage. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, there's that. <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna throw one more thing out there for Jack. I, I know it kind of, the theme kind of seems like there's a lot of frustration about traffic and traffic and traffic, but I don't, I wanna make sure that it's said that the traffic, yeah, it's, it's a deal, but our, our situation here in Sonola is unique in the fact that this is backed up all the way, but it's right in the middle of Sonolians going walking to the post office, trying to get across the street, mothers walking babies in strollers, and there's people cutting through everywhere. And it's a, it's a safety issue. I mentioned earlier, there's there's big trucks, there's you know um, heavy trucks passing through now. And it's not just, I, I don't want you to hear us complaining about traffic, but it, it's it's a safety issue. There's, I don't know, you know what, what has to happen, but um, just the timing, I know Sonola being, or um, Foothill being closed has really impacted this and made it, you know, even bigger, but, um, I just wanted to make sure that you heard not just us complaining about traffic. There's a huge safety issue out there because there's pedestrian traffic. Everybody is living their lives who live here with all these cars cutting through and people are on their phones looking down. You know, I, I saw some guy rear-end another guy just because he wasn't paying attention, but people are trying to get around and just live their lives. And it's a, it's a serious, serious issue. And I hope somebody doesn't get hurt. And I hope that you guys can help us with that. Uh, yeah, I, I think. No, I, no I also, I was... can I speak in the, in the same vein as far as I felt really disrespected as a member of the Sonol community. I had people that could not arrive at church. I spent 55 minutes trying to go to Raley's from Kilcare Road. And I was also a number of times very concerned about the fact that there's no way that the ambulance and there was no way that fire trucks could have gotten in and around com the community at all. And it wasn't just for commute time. I was trying to get to Raley's at 8.30 at night and it took me 55 minutes to get to Raley's. Um, and I just I just found that incredibly disrespectful that they think uh, an entire highway was gonna come waltzing through the little town of Sonol um, and that was gonna work. I just, I don't understand the thinking that even that even set that up as a, as a possibility. 
Mary, you have an actually excellent point here in the fact that not just the traffic and not just the safety and not just the disrespect. The other thing is it costs Sonolians who run businesses in downtown Sonol money. I can't speak for Mr. Miller, who's not on the call, but I can speak for the barbershop. Um, we had dozens and dozens of cancellations because people checked their GP. Oh my gosh, it's going to take me two hours. I, I can't come. And so um, I can't, again, I, I, we have that business. I can't speak for others, but um, there's a lot of issues here. So that's a great, great point. And I just hope that they're heard. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's an issue and we have time to do something about it. And I just hope this doesn't fall on deaf ears and we go, oh, it's okay. We'll just, you know, it is what it is. It's not is what it is. And I hope, I hope nobody gets hurt. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not sure it's just an old, I think everybody who was traveling North on 680 to get to anywhere, any business, Pleasanton, Livermore, uh, Dublin. I mean, they were all, they were all screwed this past weekend. It, Saturday was horrible. I almost got run over walking the dog. It was horrible. People were flying around trying to figure out how to get past the problem. And there was no solution. Uh, it was a mess. It was better on Sunday and hopefully it'll be better this weekend. But Saturday was horrific. Jack, the repaving is only in the northbound side of the freeway. Was there any consideration of dividing the southbound in half and, and having both directions of traffic on that southbound side? Um, as far as um, shifting traffic, the northbound traffic down basically to, to the southbound side, um, taking half of the southbound side, Mm -hmm. um yeah i think the team did look at that and then there was a number of challenges with doing that um but again i, I don't have the details as far as the, the the main issues i think it's basically you know the, the the concern is that we would not we would have to um you know basically um th th there's there's a, a couple of areas i think there's a different elevation uh differences and we would have to make it work, and you know, I'm. I, I can circle back on that, um, um, Connie. I, I I'm not sure what uh, analysis was done um, uh, during the time we were uh, considering um, considering um, the, the 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 detours. But I, I I was hoping that maybe our PIO office could could help uh, address this this um, discussion. Yeah, Pedro has his hand up. Pedro, go ahead. Yes, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. Uh, again, I just really just want to reiterate, um, you know, Connie, I know your message in regards to how we're impacting the community um, and then also how businesses were affected. So number one, we hear you, we're here and we're taking notes and we're definitely going to go back to our team and share all this information with our team. And again, we're definitely going to adjust. We have repositioned our flaggers for these different areas as well. Janice Mara has been very, uh, uh, in regards to very uh, in contact with you guys, in regards to making sure that she has all the information, very responsive to all your emails as well. So again, we're here, we're listening, and we're not hiding, we're not running away. We're here, we're listening to all your concerns, and we're definitely taking this very seriously. Uh, number two, in regards to businesses that were impacted, they can file a claim with the state of California if they feel that our project has impacted their businesses. So Janice can definitely share with you guys the claim form. 
the claim information. We do have a claim officer in District 4, so they can definitely file a claim if they felt like our, their, our construction project has impacted their business. Can I comment about the flaggers? There were no flaggers as soon as the sun set. It was a free-for-all in the evening. There was nothing. There were no and cops, there were no flaggers, there were no flashing lights, there were no cars, there were no nothing. It was, it was everybody was on their own in the dark. They had a flagger down at the corner of um, my Castlewood turn, um, way down the way. Um, but that, that nothing anywhere, you're right, to the vicinity of us here. No, there was nothing. And again, if you guys, if, again, we have our project team on the call right now. So again, if we need to preposition more flaggers to, to ease that congestion, we will do that. So we have taken your notes back and we'll make that happen. Um, but I know we had a flagger near the uh, corner store. We had another one near Castlewood and also near the Sinnoh Boulevard uh, in that intersection right there. But again, we can definitely make sure that we can ease this congestion to make sure that the citizens of Sinnoh are not impacted. And we're just trying our best, you guys, really are. And so we're here, we're listening to your comments. So again, so just please be patient with us if you guys can. Thank you. Janice, did you want to comment? Okay, can you hear me now, you guys? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you can hear me. Good. Okay, so I don't know. I have the uh, email address for filing a claim. I don't know how to put it in the chat on Zoom. I'm sorry. Uh, can you help me out, Connie? Yeah, and and um, when Jack provides the slides of his presentation, will you provide the um, the address, and then we'll put it in the minutes. Oh, okay. All right. So you just want me to email it to you then? Yeah, that that would work. Okay, I'll do that. Absolutely. And and I know. I also wanted to add that. Uh, I had been speaking with Andrew actually, and I know there were some issues with the flaggers. So I just want you to know we're aware there, those issues existed. And I appreciate that people spoke up just now about, you know, uh, and I just want to make sure because I assure you, we will take care of that. So tell me one more time. I Like I said, some of the flaggers were not behaving professionally. We We know about that. We have addressed that part. And what was the other? You want them to be there longer hours, I think. Is it was after dark. I went to Rayleigh's at like 8.30 p.m. It took me 55 minutes to get there. And at that stop, um, at that as you're making that turn uh, to Siddle Boulevard, uh, it was a free-for-all out there. It was a complete free-for-all. I mean, the flaggers, they had no sign that says a flag ahead. There was a guy that was sort of halfway earlier in the day standing in the road, kind of like half-assed, got a wave and like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on. And people were like, what, am I supposed to go or not? There was nothing clarity. There was no, there was no authority to it. And then after dark, they were just gone. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Mary. I wrote yeah. that down and I definitely will uh, pursue that. Also, Mary, if you like, um, Couple things I can add you and anybody else who wants to be added to my email list uh, with my traffic advisories that I send out about what Caltrans is up to. Uh, Andrew does a really fantastic job of, of sharing those advisories and other news from Caltrans via Informed Sonol. I really can't thank Andrew enough, but Mary also, and, and folks on the call, my email address is J-A-N-I-S dot 
M-A-R-A at dot.ca.gov. Please feel free to reach out to me uh, with any concerns you have. And thank you, Mary, again. I, I appreciate your feedback. And like I said, we've we've already taken care of some of those issues with the flaggers, and I will. And, and of course, Jack is here and heard what you had to say. Satinder and, and Kumar are here. They heard what you had to say. And, and we'll be talking about all this, uh, all the feedback from, from this meeting internally, of course, uh, and pursuing pursuing your comments. So thank you. Mary, real quick, where was that inter where was that flagger you were talking about? The the uh as you're as you were going down the frontage road and you came to the stop sign just past the that church there on the right, uh, and there's people coming up from from the uh, and then people coming around. Uh, it was just it was just wild there. I didn't, I didn't I didn't want to double down. I didn't want to double down on you, but uh, and since you guys mentioned, I wasn't going to mention it, but you said you had issues with flaggers and the way they behaved and that. Mm -hmm. The one at Castlewood on Sonol Boulevard, uh, Sonol Pleasanton Road, and then Sonol Boulevard. You take a left to Castlewood, right there. Uh, that 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 gentleman definitely needs a lesson in in uh, in uh, yeah something. Uh, it was it was it was quite. It, he was barking at cars and yelling at people, and it was it was a sight to behold for sure. So I, and I wasn't going to say anything, but I was really happy to hear you said you heard you had issues with flaggers out there and the way they behave because that was. So unlike anything I'd ever seen, and I'm in construction, I've never seen them like that before. So whoever that gentleman was at the corner of Sonoma Boulevard, Castlewood, and and uh, and that was where it was backed up. I'm sure he was frustrated. It was backed it up all the way down to four corners. On it was on the Saturday, so um, that was a very stressful day for everybody. But mm -hmm. you know, because you mentioned it, I don't don't mean to pile on, but but for sure. Um, hey, th thank you very much for those comments. Um... Mr. Harrison, I think um, like like uh, Pedro and and Janice mentioned, you know, we'll we'll certainly be taking this back and and you know figuring things on on you know what we can do to to improve the the situation. That the behavior of the flagger certainly doesn't sound like it's very it certainly doesn't sound like you know it's very professional and, and it, it's definitely unacceptable. Um, but as John said, it sounded like we 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 are you know we have been made aware of the, the some of the, the the issues that that we have with the flaggers. Uh, but thank you very much for these comments. So. I, we do appreciate you you coming to the meeting and and listening to us too. Uh, I see Kumar's hand is up. Did you have a comment? Yeah. We will need to finish up on the subject. Yeah. Sorry. Um. Just to add to what everybody said, you know, this is the first time we tried something like this. So we have a lot of lessons learned. So next weekend or this coming weekend, we will definitely work on some of the comments we heard today. And we apologize, Flagger's behavior. Now we will discuss that with the contractor and make sure that, you know, that doesn't happen again. And again, thanks everyone for coming, giving us their comments and concerns. So we've never done a closure like this in the Bay Area in any uh, with a full closure. So we want to learn from this and make sure, you know, when going forward, you know, people are happy and we also get to get our work done safely. Thank you. Um, Andrew, did you have a question or comment? Yeah, Connie, I wanted to quick, quickly reflect on what... Um, what Lynn Cosma said, uh, I went out today and I filmed a whole bunch of a video about what happens um, when people are turning 
onto Niles Canyon to the west. There's now two lanes where you can go off to your um, Paloma or you can turn to the west. And now that flow of traffic, even though there's a little stop sign there and it's in my video, you'll see it when I complete it, people are really going through quickly. And then what happens is down at the corner where people are trying to get off of Main Street and make the left turn onto eastbound Niles Canyon, now they're at risk, especially if somebody is either taking their time or ignoring the little uh, keep clear that is there. And now even people are confused going there and some of them are stopping at what is supposed to be the stop light. And I witnessed, I have on, on film uh, two close, um, two almost an accident and two very, and, and a, a couple more very close. I will release that video to the community within the next two days. I think there's a lot of enlightenment and it's just unbelievable how many uh, of the things that we described tonight that you will all see on that video. Um, finally, on the subject of the flaggers, my experience with flaggers is that they're really good at telling you to stop and holding people and then allowing people to go through and then doing it the other way. I suggest that the skill set required to do what is needed is that of a traffic cop. I'm not suggesting it has to be one of Mr. Petrini's uh, excellent people since we just love uh, Mr. Petrini and all of his officers. However, there should be somebody, perhaps a contractor, who has the skill set to know how to manage uh, a three-way and to manage traffic, and then also to extend that contract well into the evening. Um, I would suggest that instead of uh, flogging the flaggers, you raise the bar and hire the right people who understand how to manage an intersection. Mr. Petrini would have that expertise. Thank you. Okay, I think we have exhausted all the comments. And I have, we have probably, hopefully, communicated our concerns to Caltrans and I appreciate you all coming to the meeting and um, listening to the concerns. Do you want to, how are you going to give us feedback? How are you going to respond to let us know what you're changing and what you're doing? Pedro, are you going to send something out to all of us? Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Perfect. Yeah, so what's gonna happen is we're gonna take all this information back we're going to meet and then Janice will work with you and also with Andrew to make sure you guys have those information. What we're also going to do too is we're going to have also our California Highway Patrol as well out there uh, patrolling those streets, making sure that we can, you know, identify any problems. But what we're going to do also is I'll, I'll make sure that you guys have the PIO on call. You guys have Janice's number, but we also have other PIOs that can also help. So Janice, what we can do too is we can maybe provide um, when you're working or when you're off on Saturday, we can provide Vince's number. That way, if there's any issues, we can, we can reach out to the PIO and call uh, for that day. So uh, we'll work on that and we'll definitely communicate all those uh, feedback for you guys and the changes that we're doing out there this weekend. Yeah, I, I appreciate having a phone number, but it's, it would be very helpful to know what we can expect. I mean, I just heard you say that you'd have a CHP out there, um, 
but it would be nice to confirm that if that would okay. Be- let me let me again let me reiterate. Um, so we're going to take all this information back, and Janice Mara will be your contact, and she will let you know what to expect this weekend in regards okay. to the flaggers, in regards to the coordination with California High Patrol, and then also with our contractor. Uh, and then also what we're going to do, too, is provide you guys the PIO on call for this weekend. Janice Marr will be working as well. Um, and then we also have other PIOs who will be on call. So if you guys do see something, please say something and give us a call. And let us know that way we can, you know, right away get out there and get it initiated and get that resolved right away. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. So let's move on to item seven. It's an update. I think that's Liz McGillicott and or Ali Abers um, gonna be talking about update on organics recycling service requirement to implement SB's 1383, the short-lived climate pollutions reduction act. So this has to do with organics recycling. I'm not sure is Ali speaking or is Liz speaking? Liz? So Liz needs to be moved over as a panelist. There you go. Liz, you're still muted. Uh, hello, uh, uh, members of the council. Actually tonight, um, I'd like to introduce a relatively new member of our staff who has uh, taken over the majority of work on our waste program, and that's uh, Andy Schneider. Uh, he should uh, also be in the attendee list. So um, if you could promote him to panelists, he will do tonight's presentation. Good evening, um, members of the council and chair. As Liz mentioned, my name is Andy Schneider. I'm the new waste program manager for County of Alameda. And I'm happy to um, give the committee an update on SB 1383. I'm aware that over the past couple of years that Liz has updated the committee on the enactment of SB 1383, and now we are in the middle of the implementation of SB 1383. So I would like to share my screen and begin a PowerPoint. Can everyone see that? Yes. Great. Um, as you know, SB 1383 is a Climate Pollutant Reduction Act having to do with organic materials that are causing a problem when they're landfilled. So I know you've got some background on this, but we'll um, give a bit more and explain how we got to here. So over the last couple of years, you've had updates um, the your committee has directed staff to provide regular updates on our implementation progress, and that's what we'll be doing today. 
The purpose of SB 1383 is to try to reduce methane emissions resulting from organic waste in landfills. Um, you know, the mentality about organic waste in landfill, even myself as a longtime waste manager, I used to think that landfilling a little plant debris or food waste probably wasn't a bad thing. But in a current modern day landfill where there's no oxygen, any organic material placed in there is going to get buried in, in garbage and go anaerobic and generate methane. And landfills are known to be the third largest contributor to methane generation. So it's been a target of the state to try to, through programs and making organic diversion opportunities available, try to continue to get organics diverted from the landfill. Once they're there, there's really nothing that can be done about it. Any of the modern landfills that have methane capture devices, it is known that most of the methane has already escaped by the time they cap that section of the landfill. So it's really about avoidance and diversion. So that's the focus of the state. Um, Alameda County is considered a jurisdiction by the state. So we are held to the same requirements as any California city is. So the primary goal is diverting organic waste and they've got an ambitious goal of attempting to divert 75% of their baseline by 2025. And they have seen that we are not coming close to that goal. So they're really ramping up their expectations and enforcement of this law. Uh, there's also a good benefit of the um, effort to get organics diverted, which is diverting edible foods to those in need. And I know that that may be confusing for some people, um, but we draw a distinction between collecting your food scraps for backyard composting or curbside collection from that of edible foods, which are, which are shelf-stable items or produce that is still edible that can be redirected to a recovery organization. So there's not too many of those generators in Sonol, but it is one of our program um, efforts that we're undertaking. So the term organic has kind of evolved over time. Um, we used to call it compost collection, but it's not really compost. It's made up of a number of different organic materials. It's primarily food waste, green material, which is woody or plant debris, untreated, unpainted wood, those are our primary focus materials, but they also expect jurisdictions to develop programs for better manure management, as well as biosolids from wastewater treatment plants. And because the next categories are considered organic, they do include that in the law. We already have fairly good paper recycling but in the organic stream, we also include food soiled papers, which could be napkins or paper-based to-go packaging. Textiles and carpets, they want us to have programs in place, but they do not expect those to be collected as curbside organics. 
little background on the regulations. The governor gave CalRecycle the authority to develop these. The final regulations were approved in late 2020. That's why um, jurisdictions have been aware of this and have been able to ramp up their staffing and their hauler agreements in that time. Um, all jurisdictions are expected to comply. Regulations apply to both residential and commercial waste generators. Generators is our term for residents or businesses. And we've been regulating commercial business waste for quite a while. Stopwaste.org um, manages compliance with mandatory recycling and organics for businesses. But it's a new thing to begin to approach single family households on what they do with their waste. And while it'll never really get down to individual um, reviews of, of residents' waste cans um, beyond a, a cursory review, um, there are requirements and expectations that the state has put forth. Um, the state has an enforcement program and in theory penalties for jurisdictions began in January of 2022. Um, they realized that that was a little early for many jurisdictions so they offered a an opportunity to state our intent to comply and have not to not begun to penalize jurisdictions yet. This is a, a multi-department effort. Um, most cities have multiple departments working on this effort and the county is no different. We've got our environmental health department that's helping with edible food inspections of both generators and recovery organizations. Down below that, we've got our general services agency ensuring that the county is purchasing and closing the loop on recycled content paper, but also on the procurement of organic materials like compost and mulch. So the county is not only required to use those products in their projects, but to also make them available for the community. We'll hear a little bit more about that later on. Um, our, I work in CDA with Liz and our focus is primarily on getting our collection agreements in place with the approved haulers in unincorporated county. Uh, there will be some contamination monitoring to make sure that good stuff's not going into the garbage and that garbage isn't going into the good stuff. Um, we are in charge of record keeping and reporting and ultimately for enforcement of the regulations. So CDA has done quite a bit of work in order to prepare for this. Some of it predated my time. I've been here since late last year. Um, and my position is a temporary position with the county that we're hoping will become a permanent position because um, this work needs to be done and we're well underway. Prior to my time here, uh, CDA did have the Board of Supervisors approve our enforceable ordinance, which was required by 1383. We applied for and were approved for a low population waiver 
for two census tracts east of Livermore. And I reviewed some past um, committee minutes to see that there has been some interest in seeing if Sonol could also be included as a low population waived area. And the problem with that is they're part of a larger census tract, which does not meet the requirement for that waiver. So what it does is it takes that area east of Livermore out of our priority focus and allows us to focus on the more populated parts of unincorporated county. The opportunity to hold off on any penalties for us not having a fully functioning, fully implemented program by January of last year was applying for a notice of intent to comply or an NIOC, an NOIC, pardon me. And we were approved for that. And that just meant that Calorie Cycle is going to want to see our progress and has agreed not to penalize us yet. Um, we've also approved an agreement with Stopways to de delegate some of our responsibilities to them. It's definitely a coordinated effort. This is a map of what we call our waste program jurisdiction. And that includes all unincorporated county areas that are not within one of the two sanitary districts, Castro Valley and Oroloma. You can see the double cross-hatched area here on the right side, east of Livermore. Those are the two census tracts that have the low population waiver, which is good for another four years now. We will have to address that in time. Um, we've got the Livermore service area and then the, the Sonol area here um, that's seen on the map. So we've got a large territory to address and um, we'll definitely be taking some of the specific situations of rural areas into consideration. So our primary focus now is on it, providing and, and securing organic waste collection services. Almost every city in California that is not highly rural already has three container collection at the curb for all residents. And that is what the state is expecting for all generators, whether they're rural or not at this point, other than the waived area. So 1383 mandates curbside collection of all three materials. We're aware that Sonol does not have that currently. And a requirement that all organics must be diverted. You can't say that a gardener is taking my plant to breeze so I don't have to have collection. It's all plant debris, all food waste, and ideally all untreated wood would be diverted. There are waivers allowed within SB 1383, but they are reserved for commercial businesses that may not generate much food waste. So that is something that, that I've been able to focus on in other jurisdictions I've worked in is, is it reasonable to force a hair salon or a auto parts store to have a green card when they don't really generate 
much food waste other than some incidental lunch waste. So there are business waivers allowed. We'll definitely be researching those and granting those where applicable. But at this point, there is not a current residential waiver allowable within the regulations. Our primary next step is working with a consultant to draft a hauler agreement with Pleasanton Garbage Service. And Pleasanton Garbage Service is aware that not only right now their, their service within their city limits is SB 1383 compliant. Everyone's got three cards. Um, they are aware that the unincorporated areas that they serve will also have to comply with these regulations. So we're in the process, we have an RFP out now and in the process of getting consultant help to make sure that we are looking at every consideration as we formalize those hauler agreements. We are aware that the Sonol and rural areas in general have some special considerations. And I've reviewed past minutes from the meetings. I had the pleasure of meeting with Jim O'Laughlin and Diane Doholuck um, a few months ago at Jim's property. And I'm so sorry to hear about the flooding that has devastated your community. It was idyllic when I was there. Um, Jim was explaining some of the concerns with mandating organics collection in a rural area where there may be alternative management methods going on for organic material. And we are aware that long before this law was envisioned or enacted, that there's been organics management happening in rural areas. There's self-haul to a transfer station and compost facility. There's on-site composting. There is animal feed and different alternative management methods, which may lead a rural resident to feel that they may not need green cart service at the curb. And we are willing to consider that as we move forward. However, the state has no precedent for a waiver or alternative diversion method for residents yet. And so we're going to look into that to see if that's possible. But we as a jurisdiction are going to have to demonstrate that we are complying with the regulations and that all of our generators are complying with the regulations. So it would be a challenge to develop a system to document all self-haul and backyard activities. And um, we're just going to keep it as a possibility and something that we want to investigate and consider as we move forward with our hauler agreements. So at this point, to, we are in close contact with CalRecycle. They've stated their, their expectations very clearly, and they do expect the norm to be mandated three container curbside collection for all residential and all commercial generators that don't qualify for a de minimis waiver. So 
while our conversations now with Calorie Cycle are cordial and professional, we're going to need to demonstrate immediate progress. We're a little bit behind in that we don't have formal hauler agreements that are compliant with this law that went into effect over a year ago. So we're really wanting to demonstrate them to show that we're taking swift action here. Um, our enforcement that we're required to, to carry out is that if a business or a resident refuses to subscribe to the required service and cannot prove that they are diverting all their organics through some other manner, um, we would have a education noticing process and ultimately fines possible. Um, that is not the county's first line of action by any means. Um, I built my career on leading with a carrot, and now we've got to practice with the stick at this point, but we're hoping that our hauler agreements and a community willing to um, comply with the regulations that we'll be able to do what's necessary and ultimately meet the goal of this law, which is divert more organic material from the landfill. So we as the responsible jurisdiction could be penalized. It's a staggering $10,000 a day if we do not pass the many hoops that they have laid out for us to jump through um, in a timely manner. So the county is, is definitely determined to do what we need to do to comply countywide with the regulations. So our next steps, we're going to research and consider the possibility of a rural, rural residential organic service waiver. As I said, it's unprecedented, um, but we are looking into it. And the state moved very quickly on this law. And there are a few loose ends that need to be updated, changed. So it's not set in stone yet. And we may find ourselves in a situation where we are able to advise on effective compliance for rural areas beyond our borders. So we'll, we'll consider that moving forward. Um, we'll continue to update your committee on um, changes, or um, certainly you'll have an opportunity to see the draft hauler agreement that we enact with PGS. And um, that's our primary next step is getting that hauler agreement in place. As I said, my name is Andy Schneider. I'd be happy to answer any questions that any of the committee or the public may have. Hey, Andy. Thanks for, that hey, thanks for that presentation there. I think that the first question that comes to mind is what that waiver, you were kind of broad on it, what that might look like. I know there's a lot of folks in Sonol, and I know this sounds like this passed really quickly. A lot of folks in Sonol, they don't have lawns. They don't have any landscaping. They don't do anything like that. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, and I know a lot of folks and a lot of folks in Sonol I've talked to, they, they have just dirt, you know, and they don't have any sort of waste or anything like that. So what is that, you know, it sounds like this is coming and it's, you know, 
when you say the word fines, I think everybody's eyes, you know, open up pretty big. What is, what, what is that? Again, you were kind of broad in the terms, but, you know, and, and even on like, you know, again, on kill care, you know, that's a, that's a small road and people's cans are down there and two, two cans, two cans itself is, you know, kind of, you know, people got their cans down. Now you have three. Um, a lot of folks on kill care don't even have yards. They don't have any sort of landscaping. They just, uh, what, what, can you talk us a little bit about that, about what that might look like and what the waiver looks like and what that might be for folks who legitimately have no need for something like that? Because obviously the rates are going to go up. The, the, it's it's not going to be something that's provided for free. We we know that. If we have that, the can price, the cans are expensive, plus the monthly service. So a lot, you know, probably obviously some concerns there. Yes. Thank you for the question. Well, I had to come out and see it for myself. Um, and I did drive up Kilcare Road. And what struck me immediately was the amount of deciduous trees. So while they're not maintaining a green lawn out there, there are seasonal influxes of organic material. And maybe that's allowed to just lay on the ground there. Mm -hmm. But the way we've always looked at it, the way I've always looked at it is um, what's remaining in the garbage can? What's either being taken in a pickup truck to a landfill or what's in the curbside garbage can at the curb? So if, um, you know, it's a challenge to say that a resident doesn't need a green cart because there is so much deciduous leaf waste. Everyone's making food waste. I can see a pretty narrow path, but it is a path for someone to say, I self-haul any plant debris from my property to the transfer station and it's going onto the clean and green pile. So it's getting diverted. And I've got backyard chickens and a compost pile in my backyard. So all my food waste is being diverted there. It's not ending up in the garbage and it's not ending up at the landfill. So that's that narrow path. And unless we had an indication that the majority of the residents follow that pattern, we would have a tough time demonstrating compliance to the state. So while we consider what it would take to say this resident doesn't need a green cart, I think that would have to be the exception to the rule. I think we would probably, because it's unprecedented to request this from the state, begin with three container services mandated for all generators. That's what the state expects. And then a possible individual opt-out for, for a resident that's able to demonstrate compliance through another means. And that would be going to our website and using a compliance portal to say, here's my transfer station weight tag that says clean and green. And here's a photo of my chicken coop or my compost bin. It seems difficult to manage, but we definitely want to consider your concerns. And I mean, we could even take it back a step further and say that many rural customers, when they get carts delivered, even if it's just a garbage cart, leave them there on the street year round. They don't have the ability to pull them up their, their long driveway. 
So they live there on the street. That's a concern of mine just because that's not proper program management. Um, most cities require residents to bring their cans in off the curb. So I can imagine in a community like Sonol, that is the last thing you want, is more cans left on the side of the road year round. And I, I'm sympathetic to that. Um, but we're gonna have to look into each of those situations and figure out how other rural communities are managing it and find a way to demonstrate compliance. Did I answer your question? I just, I mean, I, I live in an area where that's gonna be an issue and I just, I don't wanna speak for folks, but I predict that we're gonna open the floodgates here when this goes through. There's gonna be a lot of folks who have some strong opinions on this um, for a lot of the things you just said. So um, I'll just, you know, I, more to come. I, I, but I just, I, I think that it's, that this is, I see a one size fits all approach and Sonola is definitely not all. We're very, very unique. And I'm glad to hear you toured Kilcare Road itself, other areas of uh, Sonola, very unique. And this one size fits all approach does not fit a lot of folks. And there's going to be some folks with some with some concerns. I'm just guessing. So yes, and I believe the state is taking a one size fits all approach, and that's where we can act as a aware buffer to try to share some of the real world experience um, of what what each type of community might need. But ultimately, we've still got to demonstrate compliance. So I, understand. I would hope that being the buffer, I understand you're the buffer, but you would err more on the side of the local folks instead of the state. The state, if it you be more of our advocate than the other side, you know, is is for the folks of Sonol. Is is kind of what the hope would be. So because we're very unique, and I think if you talk to a lot of folks, they're going to tell you how unique and how special the place Sonol is. There's there's no place like it in the Bay Area, and we have a lot of. And it's not that's not just on hyperbole. There's a lot of special things about us, and it, it, that that may not fit for a lot of folks. So, well, what do you think we'll learn when, um, when we hear from residents that don't want a green cart? What will they say they're doing with their food and plant debris currently? I I couldn't speak for them. I, I definitely want to hear that from them. Okay. Yeah. Um. When when Liz hired me, I I was able to share that I believed in reasonable implementation and enforcement. So we are hearing you. We will definitely take it into account, and we'll do our best to minimize impacts on your community. I mean, just witnessing the meeting tonight, you there's a lot of impacts. So we hear it. Thank you. Andy, on page four, you talk about all the things that have to be diverted, including wood. Um, you know, because of climate change, we're losing a lot of trees. And the arborists come up and trim them, and then they shred quite a bit of that tree. Yes. Um, that They drive away in a big truck. So that's inconsistent with what you said. So I'm hoping maybe you can clarify that. Yeah, that is likely not being landfilled because all Alameda County landfills, there's what 
enacted 10, 12 years ago, the Alameda County land plant debris landfill ban. So at every scale house at the at a transfer station or a or a landfill or organics facility in the county, they look at what a self-hauler is bringing in. And if it is garbage mixed with plant debris, they are charged an extra surcharge or forced to separate it. I am sure that all of the professional landscapers are keeping those loads dedicated plant debris and are taking them often at a reduced rate for diversion. So we don't have proof of that, but we have to count on the transfer station or landfill managing the law that they've been managing for a while. Um, our focus is on what individual generators that may not be self-haulers are doing with their materials. Um, okay, so then you're only talking about things that we are chipping ourselves, not bringing anybody else in. You're only well, I, I think for the wood item, we go back to the rule of thumb, what, which is what's what's ending up in the garbage can. So if you're chipping wood waste and using it as mulch on your own property, that's that's the ultimate reuse right there. There's no vehicle travel involved. There's no processing involved. It's legal and it's legitimate. So it's what if there was a large debris clearing activity and it was mixed with garbage? That would be a problem. But um, wood waste, there's a number of different ways to manage it. It's not a primary item on our list of focus, but for those that do minor woodworking and stuff at home, you can include untreated wood, unpainted wood in your green cart for diversion at the curbside. So um, it's in the law, so we mention it, but it's not a primary focus. It's also an item for commercial businesses, which means you can no longer put your wood pallets in the garbage can. You need to have them picked up by a service or taken back by the distributor. So We've done this on the honor system, hoping people do it for many, many years now. And now there's a law to say, actually, you can't have can't have that pallet in the garbage. You got to get a wood box from the hauler. You got to take it somewhere, have it taken back. So that's where wood is really an issue. Okay. We have some questions from um, our attendees. Uh, Shardriana, could you transfer Mary back over to the panelist, um, she got knocked off. Comcast service is not real strong in Sunhole. Okay, and while you're doing that, um, Jim O'Loughlin, you have a comment or question? Yes, well, <clears throat> I would urge the council uh, as a result of this presentation to take a position that there should be a concerted effort to recognize that having some kind of a waiver program is appropriate. And it may not be the thing that's gonna happen throughout the state, but I think it is especially appropriate for snow. And I am totally in favor of this legislation in terms of the intent. And it, uh, in no way is it any uh, suggesting 
uh, have a way to get around it. Is it, but Alameda County over the past 20 years has spent millions, millions of dollars through what's called Stop Waste, the programs that they've had. That the Sonoli and Diane Doblik taught composting for about 17 years for Stop Waste to encourage people to compost so that they would not put their green waste in, in the garbage. Taught them to do what this legislation is trying to legislate. And a lot of people are doing that. Now, yeah, it's a small percentage, but there's a lot of people doing it. And I think that we need to <clears throat> say that this is a good program, but there should be the flexibility to have a waiver option. And that waiver option in Alameda County can be managed through Stop Waste. Stop Waste is the organization that provides all the training for composting, encouraging people to compost, and would be a good agency to monitor and facilitate a waiver program. And the waiver program can be set up a lot of different ways. And the burden of proof should be on the property owner who is asking for the waiver. So I, I think that we if we do that, and, and if, if it's something that the state really isn't interested in, or they're, they're skeptical of, that's maybe good because they should be skeptical. But we could be a good example of how it can work and how it will work. So I would encourage the council to encourage the county to use Sonol as an example of how you can set up a waiver program that can be successful. And so we can reach the intent of this program without becoming a negative factor. Thank you. Mike Picard, do you have a comment or question? Yes, I, I do. Hello, uh, this is for Mr. Schneider. Uh, he, he made a comment that he wanted to know really what people do with their green waste. Um, so speaking for myself and probably for, for a bunch of other residents, I have a 19 acre piece of property and uh, we have a really small amount of garbage that we generate. Most of our uh, green waste, uh, table scraps, uh, that sort of thing that goes to our chickens, goes to our goats. Uh, we have pigs uh, at some time that they'll get our table scraps. I have about two acres that I mow. Uh, we have about 10 head of cattle. I take all the trimmings, the weeds, the grass, and take it over and, the, and feed the cattle. Um, as far as wood, uh, we do have, you know, a tree branch will fall down every once in a while. We actually don't have a heater in our house, so we burn wood to, to stay warm. Um, the other wood that, that doesn't get burned, we chip it and use it for uh, mulch. And um, I mean, I, I agree with some of the other speakers that there should be waivers. And you know, it's kind of a bummer that the, the burden of proof you know, stands on us because um, I actually probably like many other people, I, I collect all my bottles, cans, glass, cardboard, paper, and I take it to a recycling center. So 
like I said, we generate very little garbage. And, you know, it's, I mean, that's just, I guess, the state we live in or the age we live in where uh, we're, we're getting regulated to death and, you know, not to, you know, get on the soapbox or anything, but we always want to wonder, you know, following the money, you know, where, you know, what started this law? I mean, I understand that we're trying to reduce, uh, you know, methane or, uh, you know, save the ozone layer. But uh, I mean, really, you know, where, where's this money going? And myself, as many other Sonolians are on a fixed income. And, you know, this is just going to be another expense that is, is being forced upon us uh, by, by legislators uh, who don't really understand what our, our community, uh, how, how it's different than a lot of places uh, in Alameda County and the rest of California. All right, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Andy, when will you have a, a waiver process available? Well, that is not a given. We have not proposed this to CalRecycle yet because we're currently on a corrective action plan and we're treading very lightly to reestablish ourselves and get these hauler agreements underway. Um, so we've agreed to consider it and research it, but um, I will follow my supervisor's lead as far as what action would be taken from the discussion we're having tonight. Um, I did appreciate the, the three speakers that had questions just for a, a reminder of how unique the situation is there. Um, and um, Jim mentioned that Stop Waste could manage the waiver process. We have checked with Stop Waste and they draw the line at commercial waivers. So this would be something that the county would be managing ourselves. Chances are it would be me managing it. And I'm fine with that. Um, but as I said, I think it's going to have to be the exception to the, to the rule, meaning service is going to be mandated unless you have a successful opt-out. That's the vision. But again, no guarantee that it would be allowable by the state. Um, and I really like to hear, Michael, thank you for sharing your actual on-the-ground experience with all of the organics and waste management that you're doing just because it's the right thing to do and it's cost-effective. And so in that situation, it's what's ending up in the garbage question? Not very much. Um, Michael, if you're still there, I am interested where you're able to self-haul recyclables in the area. Uh, so there's plenty of places. Uh, there's a uh, place in Union City that collects uh, cans, bottles, glass, cardboard. Um, but honestly, uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, approved or not, but there's a, a big, uh, recycling dumpster at my church and it's always empty. And so I, and if there's stuff in it, I go and jump on top of it. I put my cardboard in there and then it's, it's, it takes every, uh, paper, glass, uh, aluminum and cardboard. Um, and so I'll take my stuff there if I'm not taking it to, uh, Sonol, actually, our, our school collects cans and uh, plastic bottles, and they use the money for uh, the community club, the Sonol Glen uh, School. 
So that's that's what I do with all my stuff. And I forgot to say we do have uh, compost piles that we also put uh, trimmings and food waste in, and we we use that for our gardening. Yes, that's what I was able to see on Jim's property as well. Um, unfortunately, the opportunities for recyclable self hauls seem to be diminishing. Um, so that's why I asked the, the question um, because self-managing organics on site when you've got a property is certainly possible and apparently being done, but um, it's impossible to manage recyclables on site. So we'll consider that as well. I know it's a real concern. Um, Connie, hey, were there any other questions or go ahead, Michael? Yeah, that is, that is one thing that I just realized is, okay, if, if everybody in Sonol or everybody in Alameda County was driving to a recycle place to drop their stuff off, I guess that's a concern too. It's just the emissions and, uh, you know, road trips and rubber uh, tire, you know, so I do understand that there is a, uh, you know, an ecological uh, benefit to just having one truck coming and picking up all the stuff. So, so there is that. Yeah, there's there's no perfect answer, but um, we definitely hear the concerns here, and I'll discuss them with Liz and figure out what our next step is. So um, the evening is moving along, and we're getting closer to um, nine o'clock. There are still two people who have their hands up, and maybe we can um, hear their comments quickly or questions. I'm taking notes. Lynn or Derek. Uh, yes, this is Derek this time, uh, Derek Johnson. Uh, I would uh, like to uh, thank Richard Vallier for his contribution to organic self-haul. That's exactly what you just said. And he he made it happen in Sonol where both for bulky waste and for uh, green waste, you know, large scale brush and stuff like that, he made a place for it to go and it was self-haul, it was efficient, it happened, it didn't in, it require a bucket ever, at you. every driveway. And thank you, Richard Vallier. Can I ask where where that location or locations are? No. Uh, it, it was generally downtown Snow at the school, and there were big containers uh, once a year, except for during COVID. Uh, and he made that happen, uh, where bulky waste and and green waste you know whatever you could haul down from up the canyon uh yeah would would be put in a container of green waste you know branches whatever debris uh and and it worked very efficiently and and, and neighbors helped neighbors who could not bring it down themselves bring it down even though that may not be year round, I could see with the seasonality of the deciduous leaves and tree trimming and things like that, that that would be a very, a very good option. We're not sure that it's enough 
to allow us not to have curbside collection though. But um, do you know if that program's still going on or? Okay, so could... curbside collection, yes, you, you know. but not mandated. We We hear you. Okay, so we have one, thank you very much. We have one more comment and we will close this um, agenda item. Jimmy Brazil, you have a com comment or question? Yes, I just, uh, the big talk seems to be about exemptions. And I think some people do deserve exemptions. However, I hear a lot of people asking for green waste cans. <laughs> so it may not be as big of an issue for all of us as maybe Andy thinks. And thank you, Andy, that was a nice presentation. Uh, I agree there are way too many cans, especially on Kill Care. I call Kill Care garbage can row. I hate to see more cans, but I don't know what to do about that, uh, other than maybe everybody needs to get their cans off the street. And also, I'm also wondering why in Pleasanton, well, the, the garbage truck that comes up mixes all of our recycle and all of our trash in the same truck. And are they going to do the same thing with the green waste? You know, it just seems like such a waste that we all separate our are, are so diligently um, take our recycles and put it in one can and then the garbage truck comes along and it all goes into one truck. I'll let you get on with things, but that's just my thoughts. Thank you. Oh, Jimmy, you can't go now. You've <laughs> opened up the can of worms there for me. The only time a single truck can pick up more than one cart is if it's split down the middle when you look at the back of the truck. And if it's a single cavity truck and they're picking everything up in one truck, that's a real problem. Um, that's uh, that's what we believe. I My house kind of is on top of the truck or, or above the truck so I can see where it's dumping. And, yeah. uh, you know, I separate my batteries and put it on the lid. All of that just gets all dumped, mm. it's dumped in. So um, I'd appreciate you emailing me any information that you have if, if you're interested in me looking into that. Because um, if you're separating your waste into different containers, it needs to be collected separately. That's what I thought. Thank you so much. And be careful I'll... what you wish for, because <laughs> I think everybody in Sonola sees it the same way Andy does that we separate our waste and then it gets mixed together and it's very discouraging. I, I haven't encountered that for, for over a decade, but the, the loss of faith from the community in recycling when that's witnessed um, in San Francisco, when I worked there, that was grounds for termination for a garbage man. If he picked up more than what he was supposed to pick up. Pick up. So um, we cannot have that happening. So any any factual information or photographs, videos, I'm I'm definitely interested in. Well, you're working with Pleasant and Garbage, right? Just ask him. Just ask him. I, I will. They won't admit that, and they may not be aware. Um, so thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, we can we can assure that once our hauler agreements are in place, if there are individual carts, they are going to be separate, collected separately. There will be no remixing of materials. That would be um, an unfortunate outcome of this complicated process. Okay. Okay. We're running out of time. I see Lynn, is, your hand is up, but you've already asked questions. 
Do you have something really quick? Uh, I, I would just say uh, um, we self-haul to Pleasanton, Pleasanton Garbage uh, Transfer Station as well. And most of the time they do not even choose to separate any uh, recyclable material. And so if you want to ask Pleasanton Garbage how they're operating, they do not separate in snow and at least as of a month ago, they were not separating at the transfer station. Anything you brought in that was a bag of metal, it just went into the tip. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate the presentation and I'm assuming you're coming back as you make more progress in we implementing will. 1383. Okay. We will. Thank you for your input. Thank you. Let's move on to item eight, review and approve requests for community improvement funds to purchase and install equipment for hybrid meetings. And you have that requ the request attached to the agenda. Are there, in, um, I can, so everybody who's got an agenda has a copy of this request and the total cost and also a copy of the bid that was collected by the county or the purchase order that was collected by the county. Um, the total cost of the project was a little bit over 21,000. So the request was a 22,000. And then Supervisor Halbert's office offered to pay for two thirds of that 14,000, which only leaves 7,000 being requested out of, the, out of the community improvement fund. I know the agenda says 21,000, but it was meant to say 7,000. I move we approve to uh the $7,000 request for hybrid meetings. All second. Is there any discussion on the, of the council members? Okay. We have one comment from Andrew. Andrew, can you limit it to just one minute? Sure, that's highly unconventional, but the one thing that I did wanna point out is it's, I think it's important to audit where our money goes, $50,000 was provided to the school. And my understanding was that one of the features of that 50,000 was that we were going to be able to have our meetings there. And that part of the benefit was to have Sunol have all the AV and all the things that was required. This looks like a lot of things that I thought would have been in that. And so, Hey, with all due respect to the school, I just want to make sure that, you know, we're accounting for the for the money that we uh, give from this fund. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Is there any more discussion among the council? Okay. So um, why don't we have a vote on it? Vice Chair B. Miller. Approved. Council Member Conant. Approve. Council Member Dentinger is excused. Council Member Harrison. Approved. Chair DeGrange. Approved. In response to Andrew's um, comment, I will um, follow up and, and get a better understanding of what was done the last time we provided money to them also. Okay, uh, item nine, approval of the minutes. Those are the minutes from January 18th. Did 
And those are also attached to the agenda. Did anybody have any questions or corrections on that minutes? Move to approve the minutes. Second. So we'll have a roll call vote. Vice Chair B. Miller. Approve. Council Member Conant. Approve. Council Member Dentinger is excused. Council Member Harrison. Approved. Chair DeGrange. Approve. Okay, thank you very much. We had about 35 people on the um, call for most of the call. Oh, I see one person has a hand up from the attendees. Sean Wilson, did you have a final comment? Yeah, I just... <clears throat> You're muted, Sean. He may have dropped. I heard a glitch there. Oh, of. no, he got moved over as a panelist. Yeah, sorry, I got moved over. There I was go. just um, hoping that the council would adjourn in memory of Supervisor Richard Valle for the years of dedicated service to your community. I'm sure you guys are probably going to do that anyway, but in case you weren't, like, it, I, I feel it's very important to at least um, honor his his legacy and his memory and his service to this community. So if you would um, indulge me in adjourning this meeting in his memory, that would be fantastic. Thank you. I think all of us are very happy to do that. And, and we all had some very nice words to say about Valle last week when we first heard the news, um, because we all do very much appreciate what he did for Sonol or what he has done for Sonol and what he did for the, the county. So Let's adjourn in memory of and in honor of Richard Vallier. Thank you.